0: It makes your day-to-day easier and gives you the freedom to focus on what really matters, your future.
1: Grow your business without the grind in Slack. Visit slack.com to get started. And like many things in The Ready's history, like we tried it one way, then we swung too far the other way, then we swung back to the first way, and now we found an in-between way.
0: I've coined a term for that flip-flop phenomenon, and I call them USB problems. (laughs) Put it in one way, doesn't work. Put it in the other way, doesn't work. Turn it around, it works.
1: Hey, everybody. Welcome to the show. This is Brave New Work, a podcast about reinventing our organizations and the search for a more adaptive and human way of working. I'm Rodney Evans, and I am joined by my favorite co-host, Aaron Dignan.
0: Hey, hey, hey.
1: On today's episode, we're going to talk about our recent retreat in New Orleans and how to have a badass offsite. But before that... Aaron is going to run his first ever check-in
0: round. First ever on the podcast, 10,000th <laughs> in real life. Yeah, it's. I feel a little nervous energy
2: uh, having to
0: bring this Don't to the table. Don't yeah, man. It's I'm not fixed. going to. I'm not going to. We're going to check in as we always do. So our check-in question for today is, if you had a time machine, what year would you visit and why? And you should start because I'm putting you on the spot as the facilitator of the check-in.
1: Okay, I would go to visit 1967. (laughs) There was a tour put on by Stax, the record label that featured a lot of recording artists who I love. But Mm. my favorite combo was that Booker T and the MGs backed Otis Redding during Uh. the Stax tour. And the recordings from some of those shows are unbelievable. And so I would go to 1967 And I would make a martini and I would go to one of those shows.
0: Amazing. That actually sounds fun, too. I like that there's a martini involved and it feels very swanky. I'm going to go. Let's see. It's 2021. I'm going to go to 2200. Oh, dang. Yeah. And the reason is I like. It's far enough out that either we've gotten our shit together or we've totally trashed the
1: place. Do you know what I mean?
0: Like 2100 is going to be right in the shit. So that's not the answer. But 2200 is either going to be like, oh, my God, everyone's meditating and floating or uh oh, everything's on fire. We really screwed it up. So I would want to learn which it was and why and then come back with that knowledge. I think I could sleep better.
1: Is it weird that I didn't even think for one second about going to the future?
0: No, it's it's apropos of both you, me and our relationship.
1: That tracks. So today we're going to talk about the next level retreat. A lot of folks are trying to gather for the first time since before this whole pandemic thing began. We're getting a lot of questions from people in the universe about how to do that, what to do, how to reconnect, etc. And also, we might have touched on this once before. So let's just start with, did we already do this episode? And how is this one going to be different? (laughs) (laughs)
0: That was my question coming in. And I think what we did before in the previous retreat episode was talk a lot about how to do a retreat, how to do your retreat, some lessons and principles and ideas that could take what you're already planning to do and take it to a slightly higher level of satisfaction and, and engagement. But I think this episode is going to be about what if it was a blank sheet of paper? What if you had an unlimited set of options and budget and everything? How would you do it if you were going to do the absolute best spectacular retreat, which we try to do every time that we dust yeah. it off. So that is where we're going to go. And and maybe to start, can you talk a little bit about what you think takes it to that next level? So what are the things to think about or shape shift from, we're just going to do a frigging offsite to we're going to do something that is, Truly next level.
1: Yeah, it's the convergence or the balance of two things. It's a polarity, like always. (laughs) On one side of that balance board is getting people's needs met. So Mm -hmm. we collect user input on what people are looking for at retreat as we're designing it. We don't just design in a vacuum, we try to pay attention to that. And you're talking about a large group, and you're talking about an emergent. the the the, the overall experience is an emergent property of group dynamics. Mm-hmm. So there's what the people say they want, and then there's also sensing what is missing, what's or what happening. we need, or what's actually <laughs> happening. And so, to me, what makes a next level retreat is the designers tuning into both of those things, so that the users don't feel like, well, hell, nobody even listened to me. Yeah. And. We don't just walk away with it being like, well, everybody asked for French fries and they got French fries, so we're good. But we have something that feels more transcendent than that.
0: It's funny, actually, because as soon as you said that it's about a polarity, I I zoomed out. And actually, I think it's about a bunch of different polarities. Like Mm. actually, maybe great retreat design is balance of a bunch of things. Because one of the ones that came to mind for me was, I think generally out there in the world at large, you're either having a like, rewarding relaxing retreat where it's like let's treat everybody great because they really punched it in this year so that we're, we're going to go to Hawaii and relax and then it's just a non-stop party right yep or it's this is a serious down to business retreat we're going to get shit done and like make plans and do strategy and it's not going to be fun and it's not going to be expensive right and and actually I think the best retreats in the world are the ones where they do play across that polarity and they're like yeah. we're going to do real work and we are going to eat at the best restaurants. We are going to stay in the best place. We are going to have a truly rewarding, luxurious experience while we're actually doing real work. And so it just feels like it's a both and.
1: Yes. And while we're doing real work, I mean, this retreat felt incredibly dense to me and Mm. incredibly productive in terms of what we got done, but there was still a lightness about it. I mean, you know, we were talking earlier in in a breakout group that I was leading around our essential intent, which we can talk more about. Truly, I laughed until I had tears in my eyes. And we're talking about <laughs> what the strategy is for the company in 18 months. And it was like a very fun yeah. and funny and generative thing. And those things don't need to be mutually exclusive. It doesn't have to be either we're in cell. G18 confirming this number, (laughs) or we're drunk on the Lido deck. Like, there is a way to do both.
0: Yeah, I agree. And I think there's a geography component to this, perhaps, that we can get into uh, a little bit later on. But when you think about planning, the place you choose has a resonant frequency.
2: Mm. And so,
0: if you go somewhere that is extremely on one end of the spectrum, you can assume that people are going to start to take on those characteristics. Mm. So I think I think planning for next level retreats goes to a, a whole new layer of consideration in what's going to happen, where it's going to happen, how we're going to steer, what's full, what's not full. It's just more considerate than th- sort of tying one on.
1: So let's start there because there's a lot content-wise that I want to talk about in terms of how we thought about the agenda and what we did. But before... Ali and I even got ourselves, introduced ourselves or invited ourselves into the mix of that. You <laughs> okay. and Sarah were hard at work in terms of site location and logistics and overall experience. So what are the things that you're thinking about? For somebody who's trying to plan a retreat for, you know, five to 50 people, what are you pondering? What What's the frequency that you're looking for?
0: Yeah, that makes sense. I, the first thing I'll say is Sarah should absolutely either be interviewed or write a piece about the the sheer logistics of this thing, because putting all those pieces together is is an art form. And and I I am not here to say that I could possibly do this without her. What we're thinking about usually is first of all, where are the members? So the membership is distributed around the world, which means there's a, a certain travel and and logistics stress that can be put on the group depending on where you do it, right? Because if we do it in Bali and everybody's in Europe, then we're asking a lot. So mm-hmm. so part of it is just thinking about where is everyone and what feels quasi-central, easy to get to, major airport, like just pure pure logistic simplicity. And then you got to think about seasonality because where everybody's coming from, they may be experiencing different seasons. And wherever we're going, there's going to be weather. And so that narrows your scope even further. If you're looking in March versus looking in December, where can you be within that scope? And then you're starting to think about what I was just talking about, which is the tenor of the city itself. So what is it? We were in New Orleans. I'm not surprised there was lightness because it's the big easy.
2: Mm-hmm. Like
0: the vibe of the city is relax, you know, yeah. have a drink. And so, of course, it's really hard, I think, to get all amped. Whereas I'm sure if we had done it in Manhattan, the vibe would have been a little bit more go, 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 go,
2: mm-hmm. you know,
0: because that's the that's the frequency there. So I think you have to start to think about to your point about what we need versus what we say we want, what's needed energetically for the group at this moment in time? And, and how do you complement or contrast the vibe of the group with the place that you pick? And then you go into the actual planning, which is like now we have a place and a time, but how do we make the most of this location? And so you're thinking about the venue and the space that you're going to do the work and the activities and and extracurricular things that you can layer on and then restaurants. And then right now with pandemic, we also had to do an entire planning session around safety. Mm -hmm. So every room that we booked for restaurants had to be a private room or outside. And every person had to be, you know, COVID tested in the morning and getting those COVID tests was not easy. So I think basically you zoom from out to in, but each layer is thinking about how do we complement or contrast the needs and the energy of the group with the right combination of things?
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I love that. I think you guys did a great job.
0: <laughs> so we're we're mentioning a retreat that we just had that we feel went pretty well, and I think was it kind of exemplified our philosophy. Will you tell the listeners a little bit about what happened and where it was and how, like, what was the vibe?
1: Yeah. So uh, we stayed in a beautiful hotel in the warehouse district called Maison de la Luz. It was uh, great for us. It's very aesthetically a thing that many of us enjoy. (laughs) And we had the bar of that restaurant as our workspace all day, every day. Again, because of COVID, the fact that we didn't have to get cars or Ubers to another location and the fact that it was just ours and there weren't other people coming in and out was especially important. It was also just a a really pretty space. I wished that it had had outdoor space because we had some really nice weather while we were there and it was a bit tricky to be outside. But in general, hotel was great. That was great. Another thing just to think about that you and Sarah probably did is, especially in times like this where we don't necessarily want to be mixing it up with the public because of safety (laughs) reasons... It was a smaller hotel and it had some really nice public spaces that we could all use and gather in. So it wasn't always like, oh, if we want to have a drink, we need to all go to this crowded bar somewhere else. Right. It was like it had a big living room that I never saw someone who wasn't us in.
0: Yeah. I mean, we were two thirds <laughs> of the guests.
1: <laughs> yeah. So having, you know, staying somewhere that you you have the run of the place and the place has nice public spaces for breakouts or for smaller team meetings or whatever was awesome. And then, you know, we had some amazing dinners as we always do. And then my personal favorite evening, obviously, was going on a riverboat, learning Absolutely. to like craps.
0: <laughs> we did it. You're
1: in good music, drinking Miller Lite, swing dancing with my friends. It was great.
0: Spectacular. I think one piece of advice that I would offer to founders, executives listening who are are thinking about the money component of this. As someone that has done about 45 of these, where where it kind of in one way or another comes out of the pocketbook, is it's just worth it. Like, you should treat retreat planning the way you treat Christmas shopping. You are investing in a ritual and a happiness and a connection that cannot be quantified. And if you half-ass it, it shows and if you go all the way, you will not feel the burn the way you suspect that you will, because the net impact of having this kind of gathering in a remote company over time is a greater level of performance anyway. So I just feel like if you can afford it, and I know some people are running nonprofits, some people are, have different budgets, that's fine. But whatever your budget is, use it.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And and the one other thing I would say... I. Th- I've been around enough of these things planned by people who are not us to know where the corners get cut. Mm -hmm. And usually there's a narrative of like, well, a sweatshirt's a sweatshirt and a hotel's a hotel and a dinner's a dinner. Who cares? But, But a thing happens, especially if you're a remote first company or if now you're doing some shitty version of hybrid work. A thing happens when you're all together and someone has really sweat those details where even if in the moment every single person, or even the majority of the people, aren't really paying attention, the overall feeling that is carried away and like the goodness that comes out of that is not quantifiable. So, like yesterday, I was going to the lake and I grabbed the recyclable bag that our stuff had been in, mm-hmm. and it like has this really lovely poem on it that I had not read at retreat, and it's like a very <laughs> high quality bag, and I was just and. And it related to the theme of the retreat and to the pin that you and Sarah picked. And I was just like, oh, it's the thing that keeps giving. And so I'm only saying that because I've certainly been in enough places where it's just like, "Ah, does anybody really care about that? And the truth is that in the moment, no. And in the longer term and in the aggregate, you can't really know what those kinds of gestures mean to people.
0: No, you can't. And for a lot of us who are working remotely, who are distributed, who are heads down, we're not necessarily traveling to nice hotels. We're not yeah. necessarily having nice meals. A lot of people who are working in your company just may not be able personally to, to make space for that kind of stuff in their life. And so when I had a, a member at a recent retreat tell me that it was the best meal of their life, right. I was like, mission accomplished. Like, yeah. that's what I'm going for. Yeah. I am shooting for that.
1: Yeah, that's amazing. So we did a couple of retreats virtually over the last year. And I was starting to feel like a little bit itchy about what we were doing in them Mm -hmm. and being like, our retros felt long and winding. We would do some open spacey stuff, but they didn't always feel, I'll speak for myself. Like I didn't feel like I really prepped for them because it was open space, but then having a group as big as ours spend an an hour of precious time being facilitated by me in something that I prepped for like 10 minutes didn't feel quite right. And so I just was like spidey sensing a bunch of things after our last retreat and then saw things emerging in the company and in the culture around needing some focus and needing some clarity and needing some constraints and like some real needs. And so Allie, my like forever partner in crime, and I basically just said to you and Sarah, Is it okay if we help this time with the actual design of the sessions? And I wondered what you thought about that.
0: (laughs) I thought, thank God. (laughs) Um, Yeah, no, I, I think a few things were going on there that were converging and that ultimately made it a really ripe moment for the help. One thing is it's very easy, even if you take retreats seriously, and make them a real ritual, and do kind of lean in on them, it's just easy to get stuck in the motions,
2: Mm. where it's
0: easier to repeat the format from last time, the next time. And sometimes that's good, because you've, uh, you've sort of dialed in something that's really working. But often it's not good. Like you're just repeating a habit. And it's like any other habit in your life, right? Where slowly you start eating a different way, or slowly the, the bloom is off the rose. So I think we had gotten to that point for two reasons. One, because remote retreat was so hard and so exhausting on multiple levels and just the world was exhausting that we had kind of lost our spark uh, in a way. And we had, and we'd taken a lot of things and just kind of carried them forward. So that's part of it. And a big part of it is you need new blood and new energy in the design of these things and the sensing around them. Even if it's just a rotation of a few people you trust, like the same two people planning something every time it's gonna eventually suck you know there's no two ways about that so it was a it was a good moment for that and and i think bo- both of us were like huh, sweet the help has arrived and so <laughs> and so we got the refreshment and we got a different you know point of view so i think that's just a good practice anyway is, yeah. is have some kind of refreshment or rotation in the distant past both at the ready and in previous companies We've actually had it be a rotation. So like right. the planners are, you know, different people all the time. What I think we learned and maybe this tees into to some of the role stuff that we've figured out around retreat is that there's a role that's actually not great to rotate, which is about doing that zooming that I talked about before and the planning and the logistics of everything. Party planning is a skill yes. and you hone that skill. Yes. And then there's a part that really needs to rotate or needs to be re-energized occasionally, which is like, what are we doing? Yes. <laughs> outside of where are we staying and and you know, what are we eating? And so I think we just needed more roles and we never really bit the bullet and did that.
1: Yeah. And like many things in the Reddy's history, like we tried it one way, then we swung too far the other way, then we swung back to the first way. And now we found an in-between way, which is there are experienced designers who know what they're doing like you and Sarah and then there are also work designers and facilitators who can plug in to sense what's happening in the system and what our design for the agenda could be and to help facilitate you know those sessions during the week
0: I've coined a term for that flip-flop mm. phenomenon and I call them USB problems <laughs> you put it in one way doesn't work put it in the other way doesn't work turn it around it works <laughs> what the hell's happening in there
1: That's really funny. Yeah.
0: So we had a USB problem around retreat design.
1: (laughs) And so digging in, the two things that I want to talk about in terms of content are strategy and Mm -hmm. initiatives. Okay. So we did strategy work at this retreat. I don't think we've done strategy work at a retreat for a while, have we?
0: (sighs) As long as I can remember, basically, (laughs) that kind of strategy work.
1: So that's probably our first indication that we were missing something important because what we preach to clients is around continuously steering strategy on a cadence that meets the environment around you yeah. and we kind of had let ours roll for for quite a while
0: we are we are occasional victims of our belief in emergence <laughs> where we you know what I mean we we
2: we believe
0: fundamentally that a group of intelligent caring people will uh, find their way
2: yeah and, and so we I think do. sometimes
0: and we do and they, and they do but sometimes what that does is it leaves gaps around coherence and alignment and the possibility of focus yes and that's when we feel the pain of it and so I think this is a great example of like this will keep happening emergently and something okay will happen. But if we want to make something happen, we need some focus.
1: Yeah. And I think you and I were both in the mindset going in of that was thematically a really big design principle. So we sort of wanted to do like a looking back and a looking forward, but always with the idea of more constraint, more enabling constraint. So we've had a few years of very little constraint. So strategy was not loose, but had a lot of room for people Mm -hmm. to do what they wanted under that umbrella. And our initiatives process was very generatively like
2: no bad ideas and brainstorming
1: kind of vibe. And then I feel like this time we started to be more provocative in terms of those constraints. And one way that we did that was you and I bringing an essential intent proposal to process with the group. So- Hat tip
0: to Greg McKeown, former
2: guest, yeah, of the show.
1: Former guest. And we used his Mad Lib, <laughs> even though it was hard for us because we like to use more words. So maybe you could talk a little bit about the essential intent and specifically the balance of uh, someone in a quote unquote leadership position bringing something- versus it being totally
0: mm-hmm.
1: co-created?
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, first of all, I think there's a numbers problem. And and we're certainly hitting that and other teams do as well, which is you can't co-create much of anything in an active live session with more than about 15 people. It just starts to become a problem of there's not enough airtime to go around. There's not enough time to bring everything together. So we were, we were victims of that already. And I think what is... What is hard, and this goes back to polarities, what is hard about working in and, and creating a self-managing system is you don't ever want to overreach, over-constrain, over-mandate, et cetera. And so the natural instinct is to sit way back. But, but at the end of the day, the, the thing that is fundamental about a self-managing system is that everything about the constraints in that system has been consented to either by people directly or by right. folks that they elect or choose to represent them. And so what that means is it's not everybody touches everything, everybody weighs in on everything, everything is co-created live in the room with everyone at the same time. That is not it. It is actually much more about how do we localize and concentrate authority through all of our shared consent in a way that will move us forward. And one of the roles, I think, for leaders, founders, guardians, elected representatives, whatever it is in your system, is to come with something to provoke the system. Mm. And it's not coming to say, this is it. It's coming to say, here's something to react to. And mm-hmm. that moves you forward 50 yards. And then you get to do the actual more interesting work of challenging and, and dialing into that. So I think there's moments for both. But I, what I loved about that approach this time is it it fit into this idea of like, let's have provocations ready for each of the stages of this. And it actually wasn't just... The EI, right? No. We were talking about diagnosis and how to make sense of the world around us. And we brought pre-identified trends to yeah. react to and talk about. And, and that included like climate tech and DAOs and, you know, Supply Jedi chain traces, movement, yeah. et cetera, right? So uh, that was already somewhat constrained as a provocation. Now, it didn't mean that no one could create a ninth category. It just meant there's some meat on the bone. And then even going into to the initiative work, It just felt like a funnel rather than like a cloud.
1: Yeah. 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 And just to call back to our last retreat episode, you know, one of the things that we love to make fun of the most is (laughs) one way presentations. Here's my prezzo. The other end of that spectrum that is equally useless is 50 people in a room with sticky notes hoping that the answer... (laughs) Happens, (laughs) happens. <laughs> yeah. And so I I just want to say out loud, like this is a real third way thing, which is come with something that you put time into and then get reactions. And, you know, I facilitated a smaller group on Monday within a client team. And a lot of the prep work that I did with that group was like, bring a proposal. Like let's think yeah. now about what a possible answer is yep. rather than just opening it up. So I'm saying that partially because I I hear people go too far the other direction. and also partially because sometimes with our more progressive clients, orgs, friends, there can be a bit of hesitance to like bring a proposal or bring a provocation right. or bring a constraint into a group. and and that's not what self-management means. And so I exactly. just want to I just want to clear that up for the record.
0: And it doesn't always have to be you, but it no. needs to be the person or persons who are closest to the context or closest to the work, or frankly, just have the freaking time yeah. to to sit with it. Exactly. And so, yeah, if it's something like an essential intent, you should look around and be like, who holds a lot of vision for where we're headed? Yeah, And, and whoever that is, and it's probably going to be some of the people that are the usual suspects, and that's okay.
2: That's okay. And
0: by the same token, if it's like, let's get an essential intent around our Jedi work, it's probably not going to be me yeah, and that's okay. Totally. And so I think just leaning into who has the context, the energy, the time, the space, the, the knowledge, the lived experience and getting the provocation and then still having the consent opportunity at the end, which is yeah. the part that keeps us pure.
1: Yeah. So that was really fun and it was really fun to work on. And mm-hmm. the other thing that I wanted to talk about is our initiative process, because we oh, yes. radically changed our initiative process this time.
0: I think we should bottle and sell this. You t- <laughs> Okay. Yes, I do.
1: Someone did ask me this morning who had looked at an SOW, like, what happens on those dark weeks? And I was like, well, I'm going to make a podcast for you. Wouldn't so. you like to know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so here you go. So a-, a miniature version of our initiative story, which I told at retreat, was this. For us, initiatives really were born originally of the like cobbler's kid has no shoes problem, which is (laughs) all of us are out in the world trying to change client organizations It's what pays our bills. It's what lights us up. It's what we're uniquely good at. And as a result, our own backyard tends to have a lot of weeds (laughs) growing in it.
0: The trash can is full.
1: It sure is. And so there was, you know, early days that ended up falling to certain members or certain member types. And like, they weren't always that psyched to be like, oh, good. Now I get to also figure out the hiring (laughs) process. Now I also get to figure out how to make a magazine. And like, so there, it, it, it didn't work amazingly well, but it was very understandable for a first year of a company. And then we sort of started this process that was like, what are the extracurricular activities that we need in order to have a functioning OS ourselves, like the ones we were trying to create with clients? And, And I would argue that for a bunch of years, that was like very unconstrained and very abundant and very emergent. And so it was just like someone who wanted to do something incredibly lofty, like buy a company, like that could be an initiative. And then another initiative could literally be like, I think we should get T-shirts. And it was like, Mm -hmm. could be truly anywhere in between. Yeah. Is that how you would categorize that era?
0: Well, yeah, because essentially what it was, was everything we're not doing. Yeah. (laughs) So full scope, right? Around, (laughs) Around just client delivery, basically. Everything that's not transforming a client needs to be you know, addressed and it's, and it's free for all. Yeah. And to the point you made it retreat, at least initially there wasn't barely any of that. Then there was some of that and it was unpaid. Right. And so it was just like, yeah, make t-shirts if you want, have fun.
1: Yeah. And so that was the next phase of the evolution. And what was cool about this to me, like you and I have talked about this in other contexts and we need to find a word for it someday, but it's like when you really figure out what the lever is in a system mm. that actually torques it. Yeah. And and that was the lever around initiatives. And it wasn't because people at the Ready are coin operated or particularly <laughs> greedy. It is because people at the Ready are very conscientious. And if they are paying themselves from the center, they will not fail. Mm-hmm. And it was an interesting time because when Sharon, who's been on the show, introduced that idea. The reaction from a lot of folks was like, Ugh. we're not mercenary. We should just we should just be doing this because it's the right thing to do. yeah, and and we all know that, and we all have that ethos, and yet the garbage cans were overflowing. And so it really wasn't until we said, like, you have the option to pay yourself for your time for these contributions. And people did that we started to hang ourselves on the hook for it. That being said, the next phase of that process was that a lot of people proposed initiatives and budget and then neither did the initiative nor spent the money. (laughs) So it helped for a while, but not to the extent that we would have wanted.
0: Totally. And I think in general, when people did do work, they underpaid themselves back to the like, commons ideology. I'm yes. looking at you. So that was also a, a part of that evolution of thinking. What I've come to clarity about is that there's a difference between the good citizenship behavior and and special projects. Yes. And if you think about like, should you pick up a piece of trash on the sidewalk? Should you work in the community garden for an hour on the weekend? The answer is yes, you should do those things should you volunteer to be on the police force every night for seven days a week? I would say that's up to you. Like that's a much bigger lift and and it requires a different level of specialization and focus. And I think maybe you should be paid for that. And or in so, our case,
1: should you like reinvent the OS of the police force? Because right, that's what exactly. these initiatives ended up being, which yeah, is, of course. you know, which is like, you know, what is the future of training? What is the right. future of hiring? So what, what was cool in that sort of evolution is that we're, we're, initiatives were paid and did work, several of them turned into real teams, real teams that exist forever, like a growth team and a hiring team and a training team. And that was rad. And that's basically how our structure has emerged. But this time, we decided Hmm. way more constraint, way more no shit constraints.
0: Yeah, yeah. So I think what we decided to do was change a few fundamental things. The first was in the past it was an expected responsibility of every member to participate in some initiative. Yes. And I think in the original case we did that to pr- promote activity and action and behavior, but now it was needing to be released. Which is like no no no, a lot of people have much more important things to be doing. I mean they're they're leading huge projects, they're they're running circles, they're doing work that is taking up all of their available time. And that's great. And we don't need any more than that. So that was one big shift. The second big shift was radically limiting the number of initiatives that we would take on. And I don't recall exactly how you constrain this, if it was preset to three or we just found our way there, but it was like going from 14 to like single finger counting In the room. And that was just an overnight change. I said, no more
1: than five. We were going to fund five max. Right. And once we got down to probably, we probably had 15 proposals. We dot voted and there were three clear winners. And I was like, it was like three clear winners. And then, and then like four that were similar (laughs) second tier. And I was like, let's just do these three. This is, this is the business.
0: So that was a big shift in terms of focus. And then the last, well, I guess two more shifts that are related. One was they were really meant to be driving at all the things we had talked about previously in the day. So this was what you and Allie really came to the table to suggest is let's make sure that there's a, a clear line from diagnosing the market to talking about our own essential intent to coming up with ideas of what we need to do and then ultimately funding initiatives. And so it was not like a kind of hazy connection it was literally is this gonna do the stuff we've been talking about for the last you know 24 hours became the filter for those three so that reduced it even further and what that enabled us to do as the as the final piece of the puzzle here i, I believe was increase the budgets quite radically and so the the battle cry in the room that you kept hitting on was if it's not scary it's probably not bold enough like it should be an edgy game changing bet if it works out right. and and that means like if it's gonna cost five grand to do something or you're gonna go do a research report about it, don't do it. f off with that shit. Go do that on your own time. You have authority to do that as a member. That's great. Do that. That's pre-initiative work. Yeah, maybe that'll manifest something that then is an initiative. Right. but don't place an initiative unless you're willing to place a bet that is, you know, the price of a very nice car or more.
1: yes, yes. and, two things about that. One is that really helped us get out of pothole filling work because right. what I think we were able to emphasize that we haven't in the past is nothing precludes you from taking individual action and spending individual money to fill potholes. Right. So if you want a new whatever, you want a new microsite that costs five grand, just go do that. that you don't need yeah. an initiative. Find a that. buddy and do it. Just do it. And- we have previously said, propose initiatives that you can steward. Mm-hmm. And this time, we really oriented to what are the big bets we want to make? We are going to choose them on the merit and the belief in those ideas for bringing us into the future and meeting the market. And right. then we will fund them and choose a steward. Yep. But previously, we sort of mooshed all those things together. All together, that together yeah. And so it was hard to determine what got upvoted on the merit of the idea and what got upvoted because a steward a that people believed in were like, I want to do this, which, you know, I think is just it's hard
0: to say no to. Yeah,
1: exactly. It's hard when when Rodney says, like, I want to sort out comp. People are like, well, we'll give her money for All that. Right. You know, Back yourself out. Yeah. So I think those were um, those were a couple shifts. And I I feel like there are probably more traditional folks or folks from more traditional organizations listening right now that's like. What is the version of this that we can do in my company that has a fixed p and l and that doesn't know how to do innovation and that doesn't have any flexibility to do anything? And so, what would you say to those people?
0: well, even even in a highly budget driven and planning driven economy, there there still are buckets of money, and there's still moments where where bets are made and placed. And so I think what I would look for is how much of the current process can we just morph to be more participatory in this way and more more strategy-driven in this way? And how do we separate the, the ongoing operational budgeting and theater of running the company from actual initiative, bet-making, game-changing work? And that's the thing that the Ready has done intuitively. But we have circles or sub-teams, however you want to define it. We have... You know, operational budgets and requirements, things we pay for, things that we have have ongoing funding, none of that is part of this discussion because we take that at face value. And if those things are going to be changed, they'll be changed through our governance process. So if someone wants to change the agreements about how much money the growth circle is spending on God knows what, we have a place for that. Retreat and this moment of stepping back is about what are the bets that wouldn't happen? What are the initiatives that wouldn't happen if we didn't make space for them? Mm -hmm. So what are the teams we don't have? So in our case, like we don't have a huge marketing team. Right. So we had an initiative come up this time that was about doing a campaign, a kind of a movement making campaign. There's no way that would have happened anywhere else in our day to day operations. Right. Perfect initiative. Whereas maybe if you're, you know, a huge Fortune 100 and you have a friggin CMO with a $2 billion ad ad budget, that's not the initiative. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe the initiative is like a crypto investment or something. Who knows? But something that's outside of the purview of the day-to-day. And I think that helps a lot. So don't confuse this with your budgeting process. Go to your budgeting process and say, how much do we get to spend on radical innovation? And when they say 1%, 5%, 10%, whatever, say, cool, can I distribute that in a participatory way?
1: Yeah, I love that. What percent should people be using on big bets, Yeah, wild swings?
0: The complexity conscious answer to this is depending on feast or famine, you want to ratchet this number. I talk about this a little bit in the book. So good, healthy, complex adaptive systems automatically and algorithmically ratchet their chaotic exploration versus their like safe bet making based on how well they're doing. So if it's a drought, less. If it's abundance, more. So I think tuning into your own PL and your own position in in your market and saying, All right, how confident are we feeling about our position? The more confident you are, the more you should invest. And I think the range should probably be for initiatives, should probably be anywhere from 5% on the low end to 25 or 30% on the on the high end of free cash flow.
1: Of free cash. Yep. Awesome.
0: So we also in this retreat diversified our facilitation approach and I think also just brought some different styles of facilitation and, and group dynamics to the table. Maybe just to wrap up, let's explore that a little bit. So you've got the thing planned, you're in the right space, you've spent the right amount of money, you've you've created all this wonderful strategy and, and outcomes, etc. But how throughout that are you holding people?
1: Yeah. One thing that I'm realizing more and more about our work is how much facilitation skill uh, we have unconscious competence around and how hard this actually is for people who are not like born into doing it 12 hours a day. <laughs> facilitators. Exactly. I'm just like how hard is it? And it's like well, well it's not that it's hard when hard. you have your 10,000 hours, but it's hard when you don't. You're so, like an
0: ultra marathon runner being like
1: a mile. I'm just like a turkey trot. <laughs> like, Get it <laughs> together. <laughs> so uh Ali and I in particular talked quite a bit about this at various points and What we really tried to do was size the task to the group. And what I mean Mm -hmm. by that is for initiative creation, for example, what that required was reflection on the previous day's work, writing a Notion page, time to think, et cetera. So I did some one-way push around that, and then we sent people to lunch and gave them that hour for lunch plus like almost an hour to do that however they wanted to. And what that looked like was some people went to their hotel room and thought and wrote, and some people gathered for lunch and wrote something together. And some people probably just screwed around like I did because they weren't proposing an initiative. But (laughs) the idea was like, Don't try to do that in a big group. We're not going to propose initiatives in a big group. That is a singular or duo or small group activity. So let people self-organize around that. There were some things that it felt very important to do as a large group. So we did some structure work on the last day. That involves some elections. We're not going to do breakouts for that because it's important that we're sensing into the changes that we're making together. But what I tried to think about Because we have a lot of new members and because we have a lot of people who didn't know one another before and because everyone was really craving connection was like, how do we do things in a way that feels safe? So what that Mm -hmm. looked like was, you know, potentially thinking about breakouts as having a mix of members in them, which we wouldn't normally necessarily do or doing some voting that was anonymous or... Having, you know, having time for reflection and writing. Like, I just thought about different facilitation structures that would keep the group safe and that wouldn't bias us so much toward solo working time while we're meant to be together, but also not so much toward 30 people in a room just sort of staring at each other and the same five people taking up most of the airtime. So Mm -hmm. I would just say, you know, whatever the activity is that you're trying to get through, you know, think about an an easy reference like liberating structures, always a good place to start (laughs) if you're not sure how to chop things up. But don't fall into the trap of it's either work in pairs and report back to the group or it's we all just sit here and stare at each other. There are a bunch of different ways to achieve the work that needs to be done.
0: I love that. And I think there's an intuitive way to get at that if you just listen to yourself around what would be the most fun way to do this. So if you are honest with yourself in the mirror and you talk about whether it's coming up with a strategy or checking in for the day or making a plan or writing a scope or whatever it is, and you say, what would be the most fun combination of people or size of group or way to do this? That's a good clue. It might yeah. not be the very best way to do it, but it's going to give you a really good clue because no one's going to say, you know how we should start the day is having 45 people all talk one at a time.
1: Totally. That
0: does not sound fun. It does And you just fun. know it. Yeah. And so I think, yeah, tuning into what you know and not not going with just what the rote material says about how to do a check-in or how to do a strategy or how to have a meeting and, and assuming, like you said, that you have to be on one polarity or the other. Because if you're having fun, if you allow a little bit of joy into the space the work will just be better it
1: just happens
0: you know and then like it's easy
1: you don't really have to force it it just yeah it does emerge that's so. how we
0: designed this podcast actually
1: is it yeah
0: it was just like what would be the most fun podcast oh we should just talk shit like we do all the time <laughs> great that's it nailed it that's the concept
1: <laughs> that's the whole pitch yeah listen to us talk we're having a great time mm-hmm okay That feels like a pretty great place to draw things to a close using fun as your guide.
0: If you like what you're hearing and going deep on things like Retreat, then drop us a review uh, on the Apple podcast app or even better, forward this show to someone who needs it or a bunch of people. Take Take one of your lists and hit them all up with your favorite episode. We really appreciate it and we'll keep them coming.
1: The last time I checked, we had 99 reviews. Wouldn't you like to have three digits? Come on, three digits, y'all! Quick tip of the hat to Taylor Marvin for making us sound good. Brave new work is produced by the Ready, where we help organizations around the world change the way they work, and sometimes we help ourselves too. You can get in touch with us by emailing podcast at the Ready. Now, as for you, thanks for listening. Go change something.